it's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out The Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cash kind of sold himself out there. <laughs> Whoa. So to speak. Whoa. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Mesut Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am okay, thanks man. How are you? <laughs> I had a slightly weird weekend. Um, oh no, what have you done? Stage of pandemic. What have <laughs> you done? So I was really bored. So I was, you know, you're chopping your like onions and garlic, right? I mean, you know, you know you're yeah, cooking. You, I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, sometimes it gets really like, um, it gets in your eyes because there's so much like, uh, it makes it makes your eyes water. But let me put on a pair of like glasses or something just to keep out the uh, stuff in my eyes, moisture, right? So, but these, all I had was like these 3D glasses and I put them on. <laughs> so I had this, sorry, what? <laughs> this weird psychedelic experience of chopping onions and garlic wearing 3D glasses. I mean, and I was a, like, that sounds like a dreadful idea. Ryan, it's the most exciting thing I did all weekend. <laughs> that's, what? that's the stage which the pandemic's got to me. <laughs> oh my Creating my own. I know, I know, I know, I know. Bad time to, um, Bad time to tell you that we're probably going to go into a more severe lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've you had never, a... You never done the spoon thing? No. What's the spoon thing? What's the spoon thing? You just put a spoon in your mouth while chopping. My mum always uses a slice of bread, actually. That absorbs yeah. everything oh. that comes up from beneath. Where does she put the bread? Uh, just like between her teeth. Huh. Yeah. Just like a small, like, you know, those small, like a toast... Um, slices and just between your teeth just absorbs everything well you can soak it right is that another thing um soak the onion gosh all these methods well if anyone's got any decent methods then please let us know We're always uh well i mean i say that but it, no, none of them ever seem to help no matter what happens i just i cry like i'm watching old Cesc fabregas highlights when i'm oh, trying to shopping uh, again. <laughs> oh yeah. my god he's just hit that one against me lad <laughs> oh Cesc. how many onions do i need to cut um yeah uh we hope everyone's staying safe and well yep yep hanging in there getting vaccinated if you can i see so many people getting vaccinated yeah it's amazing yeah germany's rollout is painfully slow although weirdly there are like more people fully vaccinated in germany than there are in the uk they've just given out fewer doses they're not very quick on the quick on yeah. the actual single doses of people that's true. That's true. But so many friends and stuff have been vaccinated back in, like in the US and in the UK and stuff. I had a chat with a friend about this, and he said the challenge is that they're trying to like procure vaccines for like the whole of the EU, so they can't just like go mm. Germany first. So it's a question of like, well, got to wait in line. I mean, we're lucky because we just you know we podcast, we sit at home. So for us, the frustration is not the frustration of not being out there is maybe not as great as it is for most other people. 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think if anyone hears your 3D glasses chopping onions thing, you're going to bump you down the list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, actually, actually, maybe they'll bump you up it. Yeah, like, we need to get this guy tell. a vaccine. <laughs> 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 get this guy a vaccine. He's, he's, he's on enough. the edge. <laughs> Are you just chopping onions or have you just been given the vaccine? Exactly. <laughs> Listen, if anyone listens to this podcast, like I said before, don't worry about what's in the vaccine. Exactly. You listen at your own risk. <laughs> if you're a study or listener, you don't need to worry about what is in the vaccine. You don't need to worry. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> a quick bit of admin. We are taking a few days here and there over the next couple of weeks. So there's not going to be a podcast on Thursday, but we will be doing a conceptual episode for next Monday, which will be not our 150th on the ringer, but the 150th Stadio episode. Amazing which will be cool for the end of March. So I worked it out because I think our 100th episode, no, our 50th episode was April the 20th last year. So we've only done 111 months. That's wild. I mean, it's ridiculous, to be honest. That's the rate I used to do poetry gigs. Well, I think this is better for society. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the less said about the that's yeah, I think I, that's, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, you can check our Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Search Stadio Outros on Spotify and you'll find a playlist with all of the music we play out with every episode. The most recent one is at the top. Righty's house this week, Carl Anker will be on with Righty and they will be talking about the Women's Super League deal, TV deal that's gone through. Yeah, amazing. They'll be talking about the FA Cup. They'll do a little bit about the England squad ahead of the San Marino game and a couple of other bits as well. So make sure you check Right His House. That'll go up on Wednesday. I think that's all the admin. So today, if you don't mind, I'd like to start quickly with the Women's Super League because there's a massive game on Friday night, which has huge ramifications for the Champions League race. Arsenal... Very impressively beating Manchester United 2-0 at home thanks to goals from Jill Roard. Well, it, was, it went down as a Millie Turner own goal actually in the end. But And Lotta Wubben-Moy got the second from a Katie McCabe corner. Wubben-Moy got, got player of the match. She was very, very impressive on Friday. Bossing the back line because Leah Williamson was out. This was a really big win for Arsenal because they have struggled throughout the winter after their mega starts of the season. The reverse fixture of this was the first defeat, their first defeat of the season, I think. In the and they've league. also struggled, yeah, they struggled in fixtures like this against fellow competitors the Champions League places, haven't they? Yeah, I think the only games they've lost this season have been against Manchester City, Chelsea and Manchester United in the league. So to win one at this point of the season with a game in hand over Manchester United, far superior goal difference. They've, got, they've already got a a 19 better goal difference. It means that Arsenal have Champions League qualifications back in their own hands. I mean, they had it in their own hands anyway because obviously they beat Manchester United. It was still within their own hands. But now they win the game in hand, they will move into third and their run for the rest of the season in the league is very winnable. They have, they obviously have no Champions League. They've got Spurs next weekend who you, you would think won't have enough for Arsenal, especially after their result on the weekend where they struggled against Bristol City, drew at home 1-1. They also have Bristol City after that. They have Brighton at home. They have Everton away, which I think is the one potential. But still, yeah, Everton now is not struggled really. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, those are Um, winnable. And then they play Villa at home on the final day of the season. So... Five Villa may be struggling for something. Maybe that, that's, that's the tough one because Villa are going to need something from that, aren't they? They may do, although they have two games in hand on Bristol City below them and they, mm. are, they are a point ahead of West Ham's mm. who have played the same games. Yeah. I mean, with only one relegation spot in the Women's Super League, I think they might be okay by then, mm. actually. Yeah. But for Arsenal, this was such a good result because Beth Mead got sent off after, well, she got two yellow cards in about 10 minutes, got sent off with half an hour to go. 
just the fact that Arsenal held on was really impressive. And this could have come earlier and Arsenal, they could have made the season a hell of a lot easier for themselves. But I think this game was so pivotal because I think if it, if Arsenal had lost this game or even drawn, having to rely on other teams to drop points at this stage of the season is not fun. Yes, yeah, And I worst. think now that they, they know the plan, they know exactly what they need to do. If they can get back into the Champions League this season, I think considering what has happened in the middle of the season, with this very poor run of form that they went on and how much they struggled, that is absolutely central for Arsenal because there was a big worry at one point that that top three might have got away from them. Yeah. And the investment that Chelsea have made and the investment that Manchester City have made and the, and the signings that they added before the season began and how little Arsenal added in terms of genuine star quality to what is a decent starting eleven. The problem that Arsenal have had over the last couple of years, as we've mentioned before, is that they've just had a terrible, terrible injury record. Yeah. And I think failing to address that a little bit with a lack of kind of absolute elite level signings was something that drew criticism from a number of people who were well known. Like I remember Susie Rack writing a very, very good thread about it at the time about how how sad it was that it looked like Arsenal were going to drop off to the point and kind of be overtaken by Manchester United already. In a very long-winded way, what I'm trying to say is that if they can end the season with Champions League qualification after what has been a very, very tough year for all of the women's Super League sides, especially with COVID, they've really got away with one. And ultimately, also with the TV money as well. With that, the TV money coming changer. in for next season, which like I said, we'll talk about on Wrighty's House or Wrighty, we'll talk, Wrighty and Carl will talk about on Wrighty's House. Qualifying for the Champions League with everything that's happened this season, ultimately, you look at the investment that Manchester City and Chelsea have made this season, the signings they brought in, you know, Sam Muirth at Manchester City, Vanilla Harder et al. Yeah. at Chelsea, and then obviously Frank Kirby coming back in, who was basically like a new signing, to be honest. And you look at the strength that Manchester United have added with like Tobin Heath and Kristen Press and the, and the like. It's been a disappointing season, but ultimately not an unsuccessful one. Yeah, it's a bullet dodged. I think what's amazing about the signings as well, with the exception of Rose Lavelle, all those big signings have been superb. Like, they've been yeah. seamless. It wasn't even a bedding in period. That's the weird thing about them. They just went straight into those teams and just delivered, which is not a kind of usual. Mm. So yeah, shout out to the recruitment departments there. Yeah, so great win. And just really pleased for Lotta Wubamoy because she's still very young. She's, she grew, grew up a Guna, moved to the States, played football in the US for uh, college and then came back just last season. And she's, she's just been amazing this season. With her and Leah Williamson at the, at the back for Arsenal, who are both very, very young still. They're not even in their mid-20s, really. I, I think it bodes really well for Arsenal, but I think it also bodes really well for England. Yeah, You've got a future England centre-back pairing there for another decade. Manchester United are on a bit of a sticky run of form now. They've lost three of the last five in the league. Again, they're kind of good doing that thing that Arsenal did a little bit where they're just losing to the, the sides in direct, right, like their direct rivals. But the Reading I, result I was the one. It's easy to forget just how quickly they've ascended um, Manchester United. This is only their second year. Right, in, in, the, in, in the top flight. And it's, top a, flight, yeah. it's, it's a similar thing with Everton as well. Like Everton leapt into the kind of chasing pack quite fast. And so it's really easy to assess their results at present in the context of, oh, like they've fallen off. No, actually this is probably, they may be performing at par. Mm. Maybe these are the kinds of results they should be getting at this point. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. While we're on Arsenal, should we touch on the West Ham game? Yeah, of course. Because of a lot course. of people said this was like one of the games of the season in the Premier League. Hmm. What a strange game of football. Strange yet also strangely familiar because first of all, Jesse Lingard loves playing against Arsenal. He didn't dance though. He didn't dance. I was a bit disappointed, maybe because it wasn't at the Emirates. And also, who was that to dance to? Well, you know, there was, there, there was one thing I've noticed a lot this week is people dancing to crowds that aren't there. Frank Ribery, Fiorentina, does a weird dance and everyone's <laughs> like, what are you doing, Frank? And it's like, there's no one to dance to. 
Serge Gnabry had a go with a uh, Trooper Motang as well. They did a little routine. <laughs> yeah, it's like no one's watching. Like, don't even. Hey, it's sometimes- like no one's watching, Moosey. You know that. <laughs> Come yeah, on, literally, why, why are you hating on him? Ah, I walked into that. He okay, did. no, no. Yeah, I did. So, West Ham 3, Arsenal 3. <laughs> this was a tale of two Arsenals. It was the best of Arsenals. It was the worst of Arsenals. Arsenal had everything before them, nothing before them. AKA Arsenal. Yeah. West Ham went 3 0 up. And the most impressive thing about this was that. Arsenal came back. And as I said on Twitter, there's a different Arsenal that doesn't come back from three goals down. Yes. And the key to this comeback was the patience. Each of these Arsenal goals was constructed lovingly. They weren't scrambled. This, this was a methodical return to parity. And I was really impressed by it, actually. I mean, I was impressed by both sides and very unimpressed by both sides through both yes. games. To be honest, it yeah. was like being at a family reunion. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Just okay. like there are moments where, you know, like a sibling will do something and you're just like, oh man, that's why I miss you. And then they'll do something else and you're like, yeah, I've had enough. I'm looking forward yeah. to going home. <laughs> <laughs> wow, why don't we do this more often? And by the end, that's why. This is why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just remembered why we don't do this more often. <laughs> yeah. I'm only kidding. Oh God, I miss my family. Anyway, I uh, texted my friend Eddie. Shouts to Eddie from the great Dr. Me design studio in Manchester. He's a West Ham fan. And I was just like, what were your thoughts about it? Because I was really interested to hear what an actual West Ham fan thought about it. And he said something really good. He was just like, you know, on the one hand, the really good marker for West, of where West Ham are. Yes. That throwing away a 3-0 lead at Arsenal, who are on the up, only leaves them fifth in the table. It, on the other hand, it sh- shows that they're still the same kind of old West Ham as they have been in the past that can blow two or three goal leads. That's interesting. And he said something really interesting where he was just like, it was just a bit frustrating that the board didn't back Moyes with a backup striker to take the pressure off Antonio. Mm, I think that's a really good point, actually, because they have relied on him. Like, there was that thing where, like, Antonio had that one for 4 2 right near the end where he hit the post. That's a great chance. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that he's been played played so much this season that I do wonder whether actually, I know know Haller, like, Sebastian Haller wasn't exactly firing for them, but I think. There are other... Still strange how that didn't work. Yeah, but I think maybe, you know, if you have someone else to come on in that situation who mm. can, is just full of energy, maybe has that extra half a yard for the last 20 minutes because Michael Antonio has been playing a lot of football. Yeah. I think both sides here can be happy with the point and unhappy that they didn't win it. Right. Jesse Lingard's first goal was absolutely amazing and Arteta did that thing after the game where he was just like, hold my hands up, oh, that's quality, you can't. You can't do anything about that. Mm. The second one, where they just fall asleep, Bernd Bernd Leno is going to be super annoyed at himself about that because I think he could have done better and Arsenal were just not awake at all to the quick free kick. It was good thinking from West Ham. Um, And the third, I think they just didn't really close down the cross. They were a bit passive. They were surprisingly the weak box. down the left flank, actually, Arsenal. I would, I would say that. I hadn't seen them that passive on the left flank in a while. That makes sense. Yeah, they did get cause problems down there. I think, I'm not sure. A little bit. A little, more, a little more than I usually see from them. If that, if that. Yeah, totally. I mean, the lack and, of... and that's not me trying to like point fingers. It just, I don't normally you see... point fingers, Musa. Well, it's, not my really, it's not my energy. Come on, I mean, fire man. shots. Like... I'm, I'm mature now. I'm, I've changed. I've changed. You need the hotter takes than my... <laughs> I like it when Gladbach wear black shorts. Tweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was really funny that, um, that third goal because Mikhail Antonio was convinced that Thomas Suchek was offside. And he yeah. just wasn't. So it's, just, it's, just, it's almost like sort of no celebration. Wasn't like, it? Yeah, like, no, yeah, no, he's offside yeah. and he put it in. But then I was like, in a weird way, if, if I wasn't an Arsenal fan in that situation, I would have looked at that and been like, oh, that was actually really quite a nice moment because he was like, nah, VAR is going to ruin this. But that, isn't, that, isn't, that a sign, isn't that a sign of how VIR is just living rent-free in these players' heads now? People aren't even celebrating. It's muted celebrations now. Do you know what? VAR is like the German finance amp. It's like, even when they don't send any letters, you're, all you're doing is waiting for a letter. You're waiting. Yeah, exactly. You're just waiting for something, you know. I've oh, done something wrong. Yeah. Is it, oh. a church, is it a church tax? Is it something oh, else? Yeah. 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 Uh, if anyone from the finance amps is listening, please don't contact me. Uh, and then yeah so obviously then Arsenal got um, two goals back with two own goals one from Thomas Suchek and one from Craig Dawson did you see that lovely stat that was on match of the day too that they put to Carlton Cole 
No. So Mark Chapman goes, first time West Ham player has scored and scored an own goal in the same game since 2010. And that last player was... Carlton Cole. Oh no. Was he there? They said it yeah. to him. Yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't aware. I think he realised when it was, he was just like, oh, oh no. Oh no, oh, no here we go. Rumbled. Oh no, oh no. <laughs> Lacazette got the third, obviously, to equalise off. Lovely assist from Nicola Pepe. But then from then on, with 10 minutes to go, well, just under 10 minutes to go, I thought Arsenal could have, could have nicked it. To be honest, they looked like they were going to nick it from 3-1 down, actually. They, they were, can't about- nick it at 3-1. Because I was watching the game and watching it unfold and I was like, even at 3-1 down, I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I think Arsenal might win this. I was just watching it. It's the way Arsenal were applying pressure, mm. the way they were effectively just like, you know, Martin Odegaard was like, was like a cat, you know, these neighbourhood cats that basically, they live in one house, but they get fed at like every house in the street because everyone just <laughs> lets them in. He was just wondering wherever he wanted. I think that his performances are getting better and better in an Arsenal shirt. He's really taking command of that side already. Right. And, and the thing is, you're seeing exactly the same thing as what he did at Real Sociedad last season. Yes, yes. It's exactly the same. He's already really taken control of like the yeah. creative burden of this side, which is amazing on one hand because you have him till the end of the season and that's, that's the priority to get as mm. much out of him for the rest of the season. The worry is, I don't think they get him on a permanent deal next season. The only way that I see Martin Erdegaard becoming an Arsenal player fully is if they agree another year-long loan with a fee. He's got a 350 million euro release clause. That's not someone they're going to let go for 40 million euros. The only way that it does happen is if they are desperately needing to offload some players for financial reasons, and he's one of the only ones who could command like any kind of fee. But you're not going to get 100 million euros from Martin Odegaard right now. No. If he'd been playing at Real Madrid solidly for three years of so the form that he's been playing, then you would do. But you just won't, I think, when you have a player who's been loaned out so much at this stage of his career. But I don't think you get anyone paying that. For Real Madrid, I think for it could be the thing that works out best for both Real Madrid and Arsenal. And, well, actually, maybe for Martin Odegaard as well. Because what Arsenal have to do right now until the end of the season is absolutely go on the charm offensive. Mm. Maybe he loves living in London. Maybe he actually enjoys playing for Arsenal and playing for Arteta. But he looked very comfortable last season at Real Sociedad. I think he was very keen to go back there. He was supposed to be back there this season. He was supposed to be on a two-year loan. Um, Real Madrid pulled him back. The only way that they can really get him, I think, is probably for an, to agree another year-long loan with a fee, a permanent fee at the end Amos of that Rodriguez loan. style. And I'm just a little bit worried that Arsenal are going to rely on someone who is already becoming such an important part of the team and then they're going to just vanish again. You know? They have well, no faith in Real's. been breaking my heart. Sorry. My heart being broken by men I've never met. It's another one. Yeah. When will it end? <laughs> I, when will it, it, end? Will ne- it will never end. It's football. But the other thing, to that point, um, I have no faith in Rail's ability to integrate him into that team. No, no I don't either. No. Because they don't have the legs behind him in midfield. Yeah. So there's, what, they don't have the legs in midfield. So they basically sit in counterpunch and he just gets stranded in all that oceans of space because Modric and Crew is basically a reactive. They sit mm. and you just get him and everyone's like, oh, he's out, he's out of form. It's like, no, because Isco's struggled. And this goes brilliant. Like it happens at Real. It happened with James Rodriguez. Mm. Those, you're not surrounding them with players like, you know, Valverde. You don't have that. Um, and even the wingers, you know, Real Madrid is basically, the moment you cross the halfway line, you fend for yourself. That is why Karim Benzema has been so successful because he's foraging. He's basically creating stuff for himself in the final third and dominating. And you know, Odegaard is like a... Um, is a precision instrument, right? You put him at the center. It's like, you know, like a watchmaker. You put him at the center of a watch, having assembled the rest of the watch. And at Rail, there's no, there's only a frame, mm. you know? Elsewhere in the Premier League, quickly, Spurs beat Villa 2-0 at the end of a very horrible week or so for Spurs. Uh, yeah. Vinicius opening the scoring after about half an hour. And then a Harry Kane penalty, which was a penalty? Yeah, I think it was, it was. If it didn't get given, I think it would have looked extremely ropey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cash kind of sold himself out there. <laughs> Whoa. So to speak. Whoa. So to speak. Whoa. 
Yeah, still got it. Wow. Come at me. Come at me. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that was a good win for Spurs. Great win for Brighton over Newcastle. Yeah. I have to talk about the Brighton or uh... three 0 for Brighton. Where's that Newcastle. relegation talk gone? And actually, shout out to Ian because on Wrighty's house he talked about Mope basically being a striker that could get goals at this level. Had the movement, had the touch, had the anticipation. He got the final goal. Welbeck got an absolute beauty for mm-hmm. the second. The goal of the game, cutting in on the right foot and just curling it beautifully into the corner. Strong result for Brighton there. And finishing to match the quality of the approach play, which is something they struggled with a little bit in recent games. Uh, I think Brighton are going to be fine. Yeah. Played a game less than Fulham and they're six points clear of the bottom three yeah. now. Nice game that actually uh, leads Fulham too. Uh, Leeds beat um, Fulham 2-1 on Friday yeah it was a nice game that too good game anything else you want to add about that no that's it really I feel good Uh, I mean Leeds are up to 11th and they're also going to be fine I think there were a few people worrying about Leeds at one point in the season because they went on that horrendous run yeah but they're they're also going to be fine let's go to the Bundesliga let's come to the Bundesliga some breaking news in the Bundesliga just as we're recording this. Jabby Alonso looks set to become the next head coach of Borussia Mönchengladbach. His Real Sociedad contract is up in the summer. Obviously, Gladbach needs to replace Marco Rosa. Max Ebel put it this way. He's, he's, he's such a smart sporting director to make such a left field appointment that yeah. makes so much sense is just very, very on him. Like it's just it's a very typical Max Abel thing. Like, but I know Gladbach. You know, a lot of people know about Gladbach, but Abel is honestly one of the brilliant, best sporting directors I think around in the Bundesliga. And um, he has experience. Javi Alonso. I mean, he's had Bundesliga experience for a shot for a start. He's won everything. He then went and coached Sociedad's under twenty threes, I believe, and then or the youth team, sorry, and then has moved up to Real Sociedad B. This is someone who's really gone and done the work, know, done the work, did his, did his badges. And also he's a huge, huge name, huge name. I think it's amazing. I love everything about this, absolutely everything about it. Yeah. Because also the thing that I think is really impressive about this is that he has the potential to be someone who people really want to play for. And for, and for Gladbach to be able to have someone like that is like no disrespect to Marco Rosa, but like, you know, we, everyone knows we're huge Marco Rosa fans on here, but you know, he wasn't exactly like a world cup winner or a European cup winner or one of the most celebrated midfield uh, celebrated players in his position of his generation. Great coach, great dude. But you know, this, I think this just opens up a whole new possibility for Gladbach as well. Like this is incredible. Young players on loan. Who yeah. were like, I want to go and play for Javi Alonso. Yeah. The same yeah. way that people would play for Javi or for the Arteta for factor, really. Or Pe- for yeah. Pirlo or for Pep, early Pep. Like, this is the same thing, I think. I think this is really, really exciting for Gladbach. Super exciting. And I just hope it's, I hope it's true and I hope it happens because I'm extremely into this. I cannot, I've heard, you know, hearing him talk football, there's an amazing... YouTube video, I think so. Is it Coach's Voice? I'm not mm. sure. Where he's talking about the tactics and how he's coaching the youth team. There's a brilliant moment when he goes, yes, and unbelievably, they just, my gosh, I couldn't believe how well they followed my instructions. And I'm like, well, because you're a coaching genius and you're very good at articulating yourself. And also, I mean, this person as a player, as a footballing mind, and he'll probably have some German too, to be honest, that he was brilliant at Bayern. Yeah. As yeah, a player, he does like, speak German actually. I actually yeah. saw a video of him speaking German. He was doing, uh, I think it was him and Tiago were doing German lessons. Right. And actually, I think he's, he's pretty decent. He, he, he picked it's it up extremely quite smart. He's an extremely smart, smart man. And also, like, uh, someone has already commented on Twitter, like, the, uh, <laughs> the, the Gladback Twitter, I will not be short of thirst traps to be posting if he is appointed. I mean, to be honest, this is where Max Erbel deserves even more props, arguably, for getting rid of an extremely, well, seeing an extremely thirsty manager leave and then kind of levelling up. Yeah, I mean... I mean, yeah. that is a tough market and um, he has done extremely gone, well. Straight, gone straight at number one. This is interesting because Gladbach are going to start now getting players who, they're going to start beating other clubs 
of a similar and bigger profile mm. to hot prospects. And this, the exciting thing is Gladbach have got a cluster of some of the most exciting midfielders mm. in Europe, right? What is he going to do with Zakaria and Neuhaus and Hoffman? Um, they're already brilliant, but what he could do to them in that configuration, also they're players that are going to stay now potentially. It changes everything. I think this is just, it's just, it makes so much sense. It makes yep. so, it's so exciting potentially. And I, and I, I know that he's, you know, he's untested at the, at senior level, Javi Alonso, but he's one, he strikes me as one of those kind of like Arteta in a way who yeah. they might struggle initially, but you're going to hear so many stories. I imagine next season coming out from players who are just like, this guy's amazing. Yeah. He's just, it's, too, it's almost too, it's almost too obvious, I think, how that he's going to be a really good coach and a really good manager. Let's talk about Gladbach because they beat Schalke 3-0 on the weekend. Yeah. Lars Stindl opened. I mean, that is a, can you think of a more, I mean, obviously we've got Marco Rosa there at the moment, but um, a more dashing manager, captain pairing. I can't think of one. It's very, they've got very strong office and a gentleman energy, those two, <laughs> don't they? They do very much. And I guess who's coming to dinner? <laughs> uh, Stindl opened the scoring. It was a lovely goal as well. And um, we need to talk about Stefan Leiner's goal though, because <laughs> he, um, was it the Tyra Banks thing where, they, where she opens the door and goes, Yeah. Hey. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Stefan Leiner waltzing through the Schalke defence from a corner with no one following him. Was very much like he was just like opens the door. Hey, he's creeping oh. down. <laughs> I'm just going to creep through here, knock it in with my head. Schalke's defending the season has been extremely avant-garde, experimental, extremely avant-garde. Schalke. They can't. They keep taking hits. I mean, so Gladbach would come off a bad run of form, and Schalke were right there, ready to ease that for them. Yeah, Schalke just up against it. a win you'd expect for Gladbach and. Rosa looking relieved on the sidelines, as you'd expect. Mm. Um, I mean, they, yeah, they were comfy. I mean, they were comfortable, yeah. really. I mean, yeah. there was a couple of chances that Schalke had, but ultimately, Gladbach would just, just have way too much. And it's good that they've finally put that run of form yeah. behind them. They're only four points off Leverkusen, who are on a dreadful run of form. Horrible slide. Still fancy Gladbach in a running in terms of the experience and the firepower for they that have. final Europa League spot. Yeah, I don't. Still fancy yeah. Them. yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, yeah. let's talk about Leverkusen because they lost three 0 at Hertha. This was abject. They lost to Bayern the last the, fi- the final Bundesliga game before the winter break. Since then, they have only won two Bundesliga games. Sorry, three Bundesliga games. Are we being unfair on Glad on Leverkusen? Are they just reverting to the mean? Hmm. I don't think we are entirely being unfair only because their exit from the Europa League that was, was, that was out alarming. Of, out, was out of character, given yeah. considering how well they've been playing the Europa League. So I think there is an element, I think there's a bit of, I think there's an element of reverting to the level they should have been at. Mm. And maybe the early season, they were brilliant and people weren't quite taking them seriously, weren't paying attention enough. Almost a kind of Aston Villa type thing where people were like, not respecting the ability of those teams to get in behind. But I also think there's, um, there's also maybe a psychological thing happening in terms of um, uh, coping with adversity when, because what was happening was teams were coming out and giving them their best punch and they weren't ready for that. Mm. And I think Bayern, you know, Bayern, you look at, look across the league at Bayern and Bayern go, Bayern go a man down after 12 minutes and score four goals. That's the difference between the two teams. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, 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 not just resort. Sorry. I want to, sorry to like finish this. I don't want to make this about mentality, mentality only because it's not about that. It's about like, Bayern having astonishing resources. There's also an element of Leverkusen almost are getting the respect from the league of getting everyone's best shot now. I, and mm. I don't, maybe it's that because they're not, what, they're like 40, 43 points, 40, 43 points, which doesn't look bad. Like the actual league, their results don't look bad if you look at the table until you look at what they, how they were playing, if that makes sense. If you look at what Leverkusen are capable of early this season, it looks bad, but on the whole, they're not that subpar. I don't know. Mm, I think losing, losing at home to Armenia Bielefeld and then losing at Hertha 
back to back weeks, I think is poor. I mean, that's those are two sides who began the match days yeah. in the bottom three in consecutive weeks. I think a lot of the hype around a number of players is kind of leveled off. Yes. And I can't figure out if that's just a COVID thing or if it's a Peter Bosch thing and the system thing because they lost to Bayern before the break, but then they did have the break. So I think fatigue, I mean, they had a very small break, admittedly, but I think that I wonder whether it's a fatigue thing and a smallish squad comparatively to a lot of the other sides in the Bundesliga. Um, uh, if I'm being brutally honest, I'm not. I can't put my finger exactly on it. I think that Bosch Ball, like I wrote, a, I posted a tweet after the Bielefeld game last uh, last weekend, saying, you know, when Bosch Ball works, it's great. When it doesn't, and I just put a screenshot of Bielefeld breaking three on, I think it was four on two mm. for their second goal. Yeah, they can be extremely easy to open up. However. Yeah. A lot of the goals, I mean, the, the goals were great. The first goal for Hertha was absolutely unbelievable from Zephyrik. The first Bundesliga goal. Kunja got the second and John Cordoba got the third. And, but this was like 3-0 after, just after half an hour. It was done. Um, and there wasn't really any, any signs of a recovery from Leverkusen at all, considering they had almost an hour to do so. That's the thing I think will be really worrying. Mm, lack of ideas. They've got Schalke after the international break. If they don't beat Schalke, I think that might be it for Peter Bosch. Which is sad because they were playing gorgeous football they were playing up great, until yeah. Christmas. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned Bayern. Let's talk about Bayern quickly. Robert Lewandowski is five goals away from the, well, from equaling Gerd Muller's 40-goal season. Yeah. He looks like he might get there, actually. I think he'll get there. He's got eight games to go. Yeah. Got a hat-trick on the weekend. And he also he should just, have had another. He should have yeah. had four, but he had that one where, you know, he's still, he is human. He is human. Is he though? Yes, he is. Yeah. Did he miss that chance to make us feel like, oh my God, I'm scaring the humans. I'm scaring the earthlings. So this was billed as Silas Wamangatuka against Alfonso Davies. That didn't happen because Davies got a red card after about 12 minutes. And then... Lewandowski went to overdrive and there's this thing that Bayern do when Bayern basically struggle it's it's the wounded it's the wounded tiger thing mm. like you made the tiger angry and now you have to pay for it and Thomas Muller just handing out assists all over the place like you know sort of handing out like like free sweets basically um, and again just Bayern the one thing I would say with them is that I don't want to be in the trap of being like, oh, Bayern are so dominant, they're so resilient in the league and then the Champions League, they come a cropper. So I just wonder what kind of examination they'll get in the Champions League they're not getting in the Bundesliga at the moment. And I'm not saying the league, Bundesliga hasn't been a strong league. It's been strong in many respects, but I just wonder if more streetwise teams will look at certain players. Like, I mean, someone like Sula, for example, I can imagine them targeting somebody like that a bit more than they do. The Bayern defence has so much more time on the ball, I think. Mm. I'm just trying to sort of look at it holistically because people listening to this will be like, oh my God, Bayern are just steamrolling. But I don't know. I think that, um, weirdly enough, the, these moments of adversity are quite nice maybe for Hansi Flick. I think he would appreciate these challenges. I don't think he likes the idea that Davies got a red card, but I think he likes the, the opportunity to solve problems and to see what his players are made of in an element of adversity. But yeah, Lewandowski is just, it's unbelievable. We're, we're so lucky to have two forwards at kind of either end of their career this good at this point because Lewandowski and Holland are like one and two in the world. Mm. And then it's everyone else. Kylian Mbappe? Yeah. I don't think he's there. No, I don't, think, I don't think he's in the top two. I don't think he's in the top two because I think there's a, um, there's a ruthlessness. There's a consistent ruthlessness. Like, I know Mbappe got that brilliant hat-trick in the Champions League against Barca, but he'd been struggling before then. Yeah, he, has, he'd yeah, also yeah. Been he, missing, hasn't, he hasn't been playing hugely well yeah, in, he, in he'd Liga. Been missing some, yeah. yeah, he'd been missing some big chances in Liga. I just Played well on the weekend, though, which we'll talk about in a bit. I actually had a moment, I was thinking about this the other day, and someone was going, uh, oh, would you buy Haaland or Mbappe? And actually my answer is, I'd buy Haaland every single time, assuming I was the coach of PSG. <laughs> so I'd, <laughs> I'd, add him, I'd add him to Mbappe. So I'm chickening out there, but yeah. Um, 
So yeah, brilliant showing from Lewandowski and from Bayern and brilliant showing from Holland against Köln. Mm. Mm. I mean, he wasn't happy at full time. So, but I mean, he took the lead. He gave Dortmund the lead extremely yeah. early. Uh, Köln then got back into it. Uh, Jakob's got that second. It was absolutely Beautiful lovely. Beautiful strike at the near post. Yeah. yeah, ripped it. Yeah, gorgeous. And then Holland got an equaliser just, well, last minute of normal time. Is this from uh, Knauf? He's yes. making his first Bundesliga appearance. Dortmund, was he's 21. Dortmund, are abs- he's 19. He's, he's old by their standards. He's 19. He's old by their standards. This is, he's a veteran. <laughs> a lovely assist for the equaliser. Dort- uh, yeah, I mean, Dort- that's, that's another poor result for Dortmund though. I mean, that's just, they do have to make things difficult for themselves. I mean, they, I still think they have a chance of qualifying for the Champions League. They've got to watch it because they're four points behind Eintracht and the pair meet after the international break. You know, I've compared Holland to Van Nistelrooy before mm. and I saw the same energy with the way he walked off at the end. Manchester United would sometimes waste his best performances. Like he, he scored a lot of goals at United, he didn't win that much. And there were a lot of games where Van Nistelrooy would just absolutely ball out, but the back line, not naming names here, everyone knows I'm talking about in that United back line, they really were shipping goals really easily. It's very frustrating when you're scoring goals of the quality of his first goal mm. to look behind you and go, why are you conceding that? Like this is really hard. And I think this is the thing. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, the yeah. penalty is what it is. You know, it wasn't given at the time. It was given on VAR. And I think it was a penalty handball on Duke Bellingham. But Bellingham, the second yeah, goal yeah. was just like, you've seen Dortmund be caught, been caught like that. Well, that's what, that's what I mean. It's hard work to like, yeah, to break teams down. So the next round of the Bundesliga is going to be really fun because we've got Bayern Leipzig after the international break. So if Leipzig win that game, they go to, they go a point behind Bayern at the top of the league. So there is a title race, kind of, even though we'll see. Also, Wolfsburg up in third. Uh, riding <laughs> high. Wolfsburg are... <laughs> I, on one. I like where Wolfsburg are. They beat Bremen on the weekend 2-1. Yeah. Um, but I like... They're in that kind of like six-point pocket behind yeah. Leipzig. I just like what they've done with um, their defence, Wolfsburg. I mean, they've, they've been strong anyway with it, but I love... They've shored things up really well yeah. and they're just a really well-coached club at the moment. Yeah, only, really well only RB Leipzig have conceded fewer goals than Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga yeah. season. Uh, yeah, so you then also got Dortmund-Eintracht, which is massive because if Dortmund beat Eintracht, they go a point behind them in the race of the Champions League. Like we mentioned before, Leverkusen play Schalke and Leverkusen really desperately, desperately need a win. There's a Berlin derby as well. Um, there are some pretty big games. You know, Armenia play Mainz down at the bottom as well. Some big games coming up in the Bundesliga. And um, yeah, I saw crazy. a few people just, just before we move on from the Bundesliga, I saw a few people just seeing Bayern beating Stuttgart with 10 men and just basically calling out how, you know, saying the Farmers League nonsense. I was just like, this is a newly promoted side. Yeah. And this is the reigning world and European champions yeah. who have one of the all-time great number nines up front who can score a hat-trick and dig you out of trouble. But I didn't see as similar response to Barcelona beating the side in fifth, 6-1 away from home for La Liga, which was interesting. Although, yeah, true. Although, where the hell did that come from? Well, should we, should we go there? Yeah, let's go there. Aim to live your life with the happiness of Ricky Pooch, who's just seen Messi score and is only a few yards away from him and gets to hook oh him my first. God. Adorable, adorable. There is no happier thing in this world than Ricky Pooch being the first to give Messi a hug. This is the truth. These are facts. There is nothing. There is nothing happier, I don't think. Barca were good, her, considering they didn't even get on the score sheet until, what, 40 minutes? Yeah, and Sociedad caused some trouble early on. Uh, Alexander Isaac is, when he's on, when he's on, anywhere in the final third. Him and Zlatan for Sweden, man, is going to be really fun, I think. As long as Zlatan just doesn't, I don't know, doesn't crush his soul. I think it's a funny one. I think that will be a fi- I think that'll be fine. I think Zlatan's really excited to be back in there. And if you look at the way Zlatan played, I mean, now that he's just, he's just playing football against, he's, against Fiorentina, he went back to basics and looked really, really good. If he plays like that with Isaac this summer, it's going to be really, really fun. Mm. Um, so yeah, Barcelona had to rely on um, some pretty strong defence early on, but then just went to a different gear. And this is, this is the Barca that I'm excited about. 
now and in future. Meshing perfectly with Leo Messi, Dembe looking sharp, moving well in the box, and then just the goals. I mean, the Barca Twitter was really, really happy. You could see not just, not just from the performance, but from the way that Barcelona Twitter was spiritually at peace. Mm. There's something exciting happening here. I think it's funny, the story arc of Ronald Koeman has been similar to the story arc of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, where they've shown elements to their coaching that people didn't think they had in their locker, if that makes sense. You know, Kuman has showed us something and maybe the pressure's off a bit after the departure of uh, Bartomeu. I think that's a huge thing, actually, because all that noise, that noise is all gone. This team, and one thing as well, can we also say, is this also a moment of Frankie's being given the keys before our eyes because Busquets is playing really high up the pitch and who is completing all his passes deep? It's Frankie de Jong is actually playing deeper at the moment for the most part. And that's been really interesting because it allows... Busquets' declining physicality to be covered for. Um, so you're seeing better ball regulation at the back um, and Busquets is most dangerous. Like Busquets most dangerous at this point of his career in that, at the top of that final third, basically changing direction with his passes. Some of his passing is just ridiculous. Like, no, like I say, no one changes direction like him. The, the last game I watched him in as well, we saw a similar thing. And Sergino Dest, Dest was a signing I was really excited by when he got to Barca. Having seen players leave Ajax and not flourish, it's really nice to see a player coming from the Dutch system mm. and landing well at Barcelona because, you know, De Litt went from Ajax, didn't work out. De Jong really struggled. Uh, Van der Beek has had a really tough time. So to see Dest go from Ajax and go into an Ajax system, an Ajax style system and do really well is really, really exciting. I, I, I would just express a Caveat. little bit of caution with managing expectations of Sergio Dest because I think he's been good this season. He's had his moments where he struggled, but he's 20 years old and he joined Barcelona at 19. And basically what I would say by that is yeah. that it's okay yeah. for him not to be spectacular at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I, mean, and I, I don't to, think yeah. he has been spectacular. I think he's been good. I think he's had some really good moments. I think he's had some, some moments where he has struggled. Yeah. But I think that is completely natural for, for, like I say, for a guy who joined Barcelona at 19 and ended up basically being their first choice right back. At, at the time that he did as well, I think he deserves a hell of a lot of credit for how he's manoeuvred the season, let's say. Let me, let me add this as well. Sorry, I didn't, I, I mean, I have to always be careful because I don't, I'm not, this is not an endorsement of, yeah, I'm, I'm not anointing him as the best in the world or anything. I'm just saying that like, this is a, a transfer that I feel has just really worked. Like mm. it's always been a natural fit. I look at him playing on that flank and I was like, that just really works. That's a, a position I don't worry about for Barcelona in the way they're rather, you know, the centre-back position, maybe the left-back position, the right-back, I'm like, he could play there for a while. That works yeah. in a way that I never felt. I never felt that way about Semedo, for example. No, yeah. If you look at, does that make sense? Like in terms of Dest's peak is, I can't see his peak yet. Whereas there are a lot of players who play for Barca where they play in a certain position, you're like, I, I can pretty much see how good that player is going to get playing there. I mean, I, th I think it, I don't want to, I know I've just said like you've got to manage expectations, but I think that he, mm. the thing about Dest, I think is that he has an extremely high ceiling. Yeah. I don't think he's there yet. Yeah. And I th just think that we've seen it so many times before with players who come through. And I think especially with a lot of the US players who come through in Europe at big clubs, mm. It's really, really easy. Like it happened with Gio Reyna straight away. Everyone is. It happened with Pulisic because obviously there is a really exciting crop of young American players coming through at quite high-profile European clubs. There is a, understandably, I think, a bit of a desire for every single one of them to be, you know, top twenty in the world at some point potential. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. just not going to yeah. happen. I don't think. I think the best case scenario for Dest is that he becomes a Barcelona right back with the longevity of Dani Alves. Not, the, not necessarily maybe the quality of Dani Alves, although we don't know, but I think definitely the longevity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There have been times where he's shown glimpses of just the maturity that you think, yeah, this guy could play in a Barcelona defence for a long time. Yeah. He's still got a hell of a lot to learn, which is completely normal, like I've said before. Obviously, he scored two goals and everyone's going to be mad on the hype train, but I think just like, He's doing, he's, he's steadily kind of doing his thing. And I think that actually, for me, is probably more impressive. Yeah, I think what I would say as well in relation to him is playing as a right, but playing as a fullback, you're so reliant on what is happening on the interior. 
Barcelona look, the exciting thing is they seem to be sorting that out. Take a few months, but there are signs, especially with like Mingueza's form, that things are clicking for them in the next sort of six months to a year. I want to assess that again, but yeah. If La Liga is a, a climb to the summit, then Barcelona are running up the mountainside two bounds at a time mm. and Atleti are struggling for oxygen but still persevering. I told you that Alaves game was a big game. Huge. Oh my goodness. Great through one nil thanks to Luis Suarez had it. This goal actually was really uh quite aesthetically pleasing for another thing because Kieran Trippier did one of those. Kieran Trippier did that uh, provided the assist but as he crossed it he got cleaned out and it was just like one of those goals like when then Suarez's header in off the post and it was just this yeah. like ah uh, this is a bit mad. Like, yeah. Every <laughs> strain of every bodies yeah. everywhere. <laughs> like, you know, and uh, Simeone's going absolutely wild. And then Oblak saves a penalty with a few minutes to go, which is a that was brilliant save. Uh, what was it? That was unbelievable. I was waiting for the Spanish football podcast lot to uh, tweet Oblak to puss again. Oblak to They didn't, did they? They no. didn't. Oblak to puss. Um, That's a huge save. But that was a, yeah. a, absolutely huge, huge win for Atleti. Like huge, yep. because they dropped points to Alaves, then I just think, I think that would have been psychologically too much. Like they would have only been two points ahead of Barca then. Right. And only four points ahead of Real, who won on the weekend. They beat Celta 3-1 on the weekend. Uh, shouts to Abbas, who's our kind of resident Atleti fan. Yeah. Reminded us actually of like the, 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 the drop-off in form came after their COVID outbreak. Um, where they lost Jao Felix and then a load of other players went down and they were mm. kind of struggling to get back, which I think is fair and important to point out. But maybe that actually led to Simeone's caution or mm. reverting to type. That would explain a lot because they looked quite fluid before. They mm. were on a really nice momentum. I mean, what record-breaking form at the half? Yeah. Do you want to quickly jump to Liga? Yeah, let's do Liga very, very quickly. It's the big result there. Yeah, big result on the top of the table. So Lyon 2, PSG 4, and your man Kylian Mbappe Running riot. Well, why not your man? I mean, he's a boss, isn't he? Just I like saying that. Your man, Kilian. Our man, Kilian, is outstanding. Really strong first half from PSG. Is it 2-0 at the half? Goals from Mbappe and Pereira, Danilo Pereira. Who's, and uh, just, his goal was lovely, actually. Yeah, really nice. So is a celebration. Looks so, so wholesome. There's something about, you know what? I really I like him, you know, as a player. Lovely player. Was he like 29 now? He is 29, yeah. A player who is, he's been doing his thing for a while, but really slotting into that PSG midfield beautifully. And it's, it's always funny when Pochettino comes in, it's always funny to see what midfield configuration he likes. And I really like Verratti as the 10. I've said this before, but it just, it, it just fits. It's a good look. Di Maria, really useful from wide positions. And Moise Kane, just as that pivot. When it's like the Aubameyang thing, isn't it? When you've got a fixed point like Kane or Lacazette, a more conventional nine, and you allow Kylian to roam, he just loves it. You know, he is a roaming player and he, yeah, walked all over Lyon. You know, who are useful, but, you know, Lyon's a strong side, but PSG now looking very much like Poch's team. And you said this, it's funny, you said this, was it last week about them maybe being the third best team in Europe? And it was almost like, it's funny, there's a couple of things you've said recently, it's like, yeah, players should use their wrong foot. And like the next season, I don't know if it's just, I'm noticing it more, but you say it one week and the next week it's like, PSG going, yeah, we're the third best team in Europe. We listen to Stadio, listen, we're going to show what we're listen, about. Listen, I, I would never <laughs> refer to myself as a, as a pioneer. Right, Stradamus. But it is funny, isn't it? It's funny how they play a game like this and you're like, yeah, that is, that is the third best team in Europe, actually. Potter's PSG is looking tough. Yeah, and a really encouraging thing for them as well is the Neymar returned from injury. came on uh, for Mbappe towards the end to get some minutes, his first minutes in, what, six weeks, I think, since he got injured in the, in the cup. Mm. So, I mean, with Lille losing at home to Nîmes as well, big result. That. So it's all changed at the top. PSG are now top on goal difference, uh, level on points with Lille. Lyon three points behind them. So, you know, remember that these... PSG started the day level on points with Lyon. Is Poch going to get himself a treble? <laughs> I think he might. <laughs> he could, he could. Good. Before we wrap up from league, uh, uh, Armand Loriente 
scored an absolutely unbelievable free kick. He's about 45 yards out. <laughs> to equalise against Nantes. Uh, I still don't know how this has gone in. I think it moves in like... Space time. Yeah, three or four directions before going into the top corner. If you haven't seen that free kick, go and check it out on Twitter. Uh, you'll find highlights of it. No problem. NASA is NASA's actually still... NASA's actually banned all footage while they study it. Yep. They've banned, they've banned football in France until they've worked out what happened with that ball. <laughs> um, just extremely quickly, you mentioned that uh, Milan beat Fiorentina 3-2 yep. in Serie A. Uh, Napoli beat Roma 2-0. It was a really good result for Napoli. Two goals from Dries Mertens. To open up a three-point gap on Roma, Juve lost at home to Venevento, which was the big result of the weekend. Now that, yeah, that was... So Aldolfo Gajic scored with 21 minutes to go. Terrible, terrible square pass across the top of the box. Artur, right what was he Artur. doing? Oh, no. Oh, it's, you know what? It is so poignant and symbolic that Pirlo's downfall in this game came due to a pass that he'd never played himself as a midfielder. Pirlo doesn't play a pass like that. And it was so interesting that like, I don't know, it just felt really significant and symbolic. And Juve just went all in. For the last half hour of that game, there was an onslaught, even before Benevento scored, but they just couldn't break them down. They couldn't break them down. Mm, there was a lot of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo on the DAZN commentary because it just seemed that every single time the ball went forward, he had the ball. He did that one though. There was a cross in. I think he could have headed it. Oh, they tried the bicycle form. Yeah, he chests it up and then does the overhead kick. And I was a bit like... Yeah, but that was an amazing piece of defence though. Yeah, it was, it was great, funny. I because... think he could have headed it beforehand. I don't think he, he... He kind of mistimed his run ever so slightly. And it's one of those that he's... he's so He is so good in the air, right? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think I was a bit surprised that he didn't readjust because for him... I wonder if he was in two minds because there's a maybe. certainty. With the, with the bicycle... Like he sets it really well naturally. If the defense isn't that good, mm. he doesn't score it. Mm. Like he, he's, he, he, it's, it's bang on target and it's in. He also misses a really good chance at the near post. So Benevento, they've got three players. And this is a classic example of like a player being so intimidating, can't clear your lines. Three Benevento players cluster around the ball and he breaks through all three of them mm. and then misses at the near post. Well, he, he hits a kind of, it's like the Paul Pogba goal against Milan where Pogba goes high. And Ronaldo goes high, but wasn't quite as decisive as Pogba and didn't give the keeper the eyes and the keeper tips it over. But yeah, like Benevento, the last 50 minutes in particular felt like half an hour. It was an absolute, like, you know, sort of one way. It was all about Juventus, but incredible win for them and Filippo Inzaghi as well. Mm. To put the knife into his, his former team was, quite, um, was quite, quite symbolic as well, I thought. But yeah, so now they're 10 points off Inter. And, and it's not just the 10 points off, it's the Inter are scoring freely and winning impressively. So, yeah, big trouble for Juventus. Their game with Sass was postponed on the weekend due to a COVID outbreak in the squad. And mm. um, that's yeah. going to pile up some fixtures for them towards the end of the season. So that's the only thing that I think is going to potentially stop them from winning the league is just fixture congestion towards the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, they had a couple of positive tests. I think Handanovic tested positive and it was basically a directive. They couldn't isolate or they weren't just allowed to isolate from the rest of the squad. Like the, the game got postponed. So that's the only thing to really keep an eye on, I think. Otherwise, I just think they just look too much in control. And if, if on a weekend where they don't play, yeah, Milan win, but Juve, I think if they had like two or three chasing them down, I think it could be a little bit intimidating. But I think they've just got enough breathing room honest um should we leave it there for this week yeah let's do it let's do it i hope everyone's staying safe and well don't forget to check right his house on wednesday with carl um no stadio thursday but there'll be a stadio next week we're doing a conceptual one on monday for our 150th episode celebrating in the only way we we know how which is to do the all-time chaotic 11 (laughs) (laughs) the most chaotic players <laughs> Embrace it, exactly. I've never been so happy. <laughs> so that will be up on Monday next week. Don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Uh, we may, either one of us or maybe both, will have pieces going up over the next fortnight. Any other admin, Musa? No, I think that's good. I think we're good, actually. Yeah? Yeah, all business taken care of. All present, nice. correct. Uh, playing out this episode on Lost in Space, 
by Shake. Don't forget to check Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify if you want to follow the playlist. That would be lovely. Right, let's get out of here. Let's do it. Much love, everyone. Stay safe, stay well, and uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs>